3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You are listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855am. And today, I, Priya, am going solo with some technical support from MV. Thank you so much. Um... So, yeah, we have a huge show for you today, as per usual. Um, but before I jump in, I just wanted to mention um, some important things to be aware of this week. So, um, as you may have heard of, um, tragically, two more Aboriginal people have died in custody in New South Wales this week. Um, and also, um, in conjunction with that, um, there is the findings of the coronial inquest into the death of Nathan Reynolds, um, who died in custody in New South Wales. And uh, basically, the coronial inquest has been ongoing, um, but the findings are going to be handed down today. And uh, the family is asking uh, for support if people are able to attend. This is, again, in New South Wales at the coroner's court in Lidcombe. And uh, Nathan died uh, of an asthma attack after Justice Health failed to properly treat his condition. Um, And, yeah, it was really tragic, really awful, and the family have really been seeking justice for this. So um, please support if you can, but also follow along um, on social media so you can have a look at at Justice for Nathan Reynolds on Instagram um, to follow along for more updates. Um, Yeah. On Tuesday, March um, the 16th, I will at 6 intro PM, the, song. the Indigenous-led charity Books and Boots will host a special screening. Um, all right, and we are going to go to a song. And if people are familiar with what's been going on um, in India, there's a massive farmers' strike that's been happening for a long time, um, and uh, at the forefront of this have been sick farmers who have really been putting their lives and bodies on the line constantly to try and, yeah, uh, basically change these farm laws that are going to increase privatization and increase poverty. So right now we're going to go to a song called Ek Parivar by Elfresh the Lion, Dharam Seva and Akali. Look into my eyes, tell me what do you see? I run straight toward the fire, to the belly of the beast. Ain't afraid of the odds, never scared of defeat. From a lineage of people who'd rather die than retreat. Tell folks to gather round, there are stories to be told of how our elders hunkered down to brave the winter cold, like our ancestors did the same centuries ago. History inspiring the present, it's only natural. More than survivors, my is the provider. Unity on the streets, the media try to divide us. Water cannons, tear gas, light to your from Sydney, Australia to San Fran, from London to Brampton, our people gonna take a stand. We repping across the globe, but y'all need to understand. 
understand It don't matter where we at or hide So with the motherland From Delhi to Punjab I see Ichabod Ivad Jungle Madan Kaldu Chituga Kassar From track to the Twitter Hit the streets in our eyes Jungle Madan Kaldu Chituga Kassar From Delhi to Punjab I see Ichabod Ivad Jungle Madan Kaldu Chituga Kassar From track to the Twitter Hit the streets in our eyes Jungle Madan Kaldu Chituga Kassar They show the pizza and badams But they won't show the pain They show the smiles and games to see his class privilege on display they say we're misinformed peddling their lies but they won't say nothing about farmers who lost their lives all the suicides are the trauma that coincides with generations lost the state sponsored genocide systemic oppression never ending that collection false flags media playbook of misdirection rivers running dry mismanaged water distribution soil degradation failed green revolution corporate greed Or decades worth of campaigns for restitution They won't show the truth, they full of excuses But this is the world's biggest protest movement Bollywood playing scenes, treating us like a joke Now silent when they can use their platforms to promote What's really going on, they make money off our faith Exploiting our goodwill, doing nothing to elevate The people in the struggle, in the hour of need The rich line in their pockets while the rest of us bleed This a warning sound to the oppressive and corrupt Your time is up, the people have had enough From Delhi to Punjab, I see Echo Padivan Jungle Medan, Kaldu Chituga Kassan From track to the Twitter, hit the streets in our eyes Jungle Medan, Kaldu Chituga Kassan From Delhi to Punjab, I see Echo Padivan Jungle Medan, Kaldu Chituga Kassan From track to the Twitter, hit the streets in our eyes Jungle Medan, Kaldu Chituga Kassan And that was Ek Parivar by Elfresh the Lion, Dharamseva, and Akali. Um, so we'll just go into a bit of a rundown of what we've got on for you today. First up, we've got an interview from earlier in the week where Carly spoke with Adam Thompson, who's a Pakana writer from Launceston, Tasmania. Adam has won several local writing awards and has been published by the Australian Dictionary of Biography, Kill Your Darlings, and Griffith Review, and he speaks about his debut book of short stories, Born Into This. After that, Carly speaks with Tony Briggs, the artistic director of the Biranga Film Festival, which is running from March 11th to 14th at ACME. Tony Briggs is a Yorta Yorta and Wurundjeri stage and screen creative and is an actor, writer, director, and producer as well as the creator of the hit feature film, The Sapphires. The Biranga Film Festival is a celebration of indigenous films from across the globe that explores themes of strength, resilience, and the environment. After that, Andrew Giles, a spokesperson for the United Workers' Union, is going to join us to discuss the ongoing strike by workers at food manufacturer McCormick over wage freezes and threats to conditions. And finally... Molly Hermans, a Wiradjuri organizer, writer, and community worker, as well as a project officer at Women with Disabilities Australia, who lives on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land, joins us to discuss the government's plan to introduce independent assessments in the National Disability Insurance Scheme Act, and why this proposed change is so concerning. As a disabled woman, Molly is deeply invested in disability justice work, committed to challenging ableism and its intersections with colonialism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and class, and is also studying a Master of Social Work. So we might just jump into that interview with Adam now. 
Adam Thompson is an emerging Pakana writer from Launceston, Tasmania. He has won several local writing awards and has been published by the Australian Dictionary of Biography, Kill Your Darlings and Griffith Review. He joins me today to speak about his new book, Born Into This. Welcome, Adam, and thank you for joining 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thanks very much for having me. So can you first start off by giving listeners a brief introduction about yourself and also your new book, Born Into This? Okay, yeah, so my name's Adam Thompson and I live in Launceston, Tasmania. I'm a Pakana, or Tasmanian Aboriginal person. Um, and I, my debut short story collection, Born Into This, has uh, just been released last month, and the 2nd of February it came out. And, um, and it's been uh, an interesting ride. And um, each short story in this book, it follows the tale of a different Aboriginal person living in Luchawita or Tasmania. These stories draw from true accounts of destruction of Aboriginal land. So um, the second story in your book, it talks about tree logging, there's loss of culture. Um, and also the first story in your book, it really draws on the impacts of climate change and the effects that that's having in Luchawita, um as well as so-called Australia. Can you speak about how these fictional stories came to life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, heritage destruction and environmental destruction. Um, you know, down here, and I'm sure it's the same all over Australia, you know, our, our heritage places um, are being kind of destroyed at a rate of knots. Um, you know, we have... Uh, you know, a lot of infrastructure development in Tasmania, roads and all that kind of stuff, uh, property developments, um, uh, you know, all, all impacting on our heritage, you know, on, on our, on our physical heritage, you know, that's those physical objects that are still in the landscape, stone tools and middens and all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as um, inhibiting our ability to be able to connect with places because it's all becoming privatized and there's less and less places you can go. Um, and, you know, you have, you know, have farming and forestry and they can pretty much do whatever they like. Um, so it, it's a real sad state of affairs. And, and I work for the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre as part of my day job. And, you know, I work in a lot of campaigns, you know, try and get land back, land returned, and, but also trying to, to protect our heritage. And, and often, unfortunately, it's, it's from the state government and the, and their processes, um, that, that we're trying to de- defend our heritage the most. Uh, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, it's the same, the same goes with the, with the environmental stuff, you know, that, you know, the forests and, um, the open plains and, and the coastal vegetation areas. I mean, it's, it's all our, it's all a cultural landscape. And unfortunately, you know, it's just kind of getting treated as a, as a commodity. And, um, I'm sure it's the same all over, you know, Australia, all over the world. And, and um, it, it's a real shame. And, and so, you know, there's no shortage of stuff to write about. And, and a lot of my work, you know, it comes from, you know, um, how I feel about things. And I like to draw attention to these things happening. And I guess I'm doing it in a way that's kind of entertaining through a story. But at the same time, it, it, it is designed to, to get those messages out there. Mm. And, I mean, these are fictional stories, but like you're saying, like, you know, tree logging's happening in real life, loss of culture's happening, climate change is happening. Um, did you find that you created these stories by talking to people in the community, friends, family? 
Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, yes and no. Like, I, I didn't go and consult with anyone in, in the making of the stories. I didn't need to. I mean, my life is is in amongst this, you know. Mm. I, my day job is in amongst this. My life as an Aboriginal person in the community, um, you know, I, I never, I didn't need to talk to people. I mean, it's just, it's just part of what we live through and, and, and do. Um, but, you know, it's certainly, um, certainly the aspirations of, of our community, are, I think, are embedded into um, the stories. Yeah. And I think one topic um, that the book definitely does delve into is the embedded racism in Australia. Um, from talking about white guilt and the way that this shows up in daily conversations to one of the characters in the short story, Sonny, um, where he was yelling explicitly racialized slurs on the football field. Um, so how often did you find yourself just thinking about racism when writing this book? Um, yeah, I mean, a, a fair bit. I mean, you know, racism's out there and, and these days you're hearing a lot about it in the media. Um, and, you know, to do with football and other things. Um, but really, I mean, a lot of that stuff, I was kind of reflecting back uh, on my childhood, especially with the Sunny story. I mean, that's set in there, that with the racism that starts occurring in school. And, you know, I'm reflecting on what it was like when I was at school, not necessarily what was happening to me, but just what I observed with other people. Um, and I think, you know, it's, you know, it's in the school environment, um, you know, on the football field, uh, amongst amongst friends, it seems that racism is kind of treated a little bit more leniently, or something, or perhaps it's just um, not seen as to, as being as, uh, as as having as much impact. But but it does, and casual racism exists, and especially amongst people um, you know who know each other, so-called friends. And I think pe- if people think they know you know, an Aboriginal person or they know a person of colour um, personally, that kind of gives them a little bit of of a right to to, to use these racial slurs and often it occurs in in a way that's kind of a bit of banter or whatever. But, you know, it it does add to that overall um, racism that is occurring and it it does need to be addressed and I tried to do that in this book. Mm. And also one of my favourite stories where you give listeners um, actually a bit of a useful tip for settlers to take on board is just giving land back um, when one of the yeah, young people that you write about goes over to this person's place um, who has you know, a big mansion, the psychiatrist, psychologist, um, and a plaque at the front of his um, building says, you know, this is Aboriginal land. And so this um, yeah, young the activist, young woman, Aboriginal woman, she goes over to his place trying to get him to sign his um, house over. <laughs> um, can you speak about what the responses to your book from the Palawan and Pakina community have been? Well, you know, I mean, that, that story is all about tokenism. And I'm sure that people all over Australia can identify with that. You know, these, these plaques that you see everywhere acknowledging this is Aboriginal land, this acknowledgement of countries that are occurring in every event. You know, and, and, and apologies that are happening, you know, this, you know, recognition of, of things yet. What, what we really want is, is, is action. And, you know, if, if people were going to acknowledge it's Aboriginal land, we'll return it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, if, if people want to, um, 
to have uh, reconciliation, but we need to start have, taking action. Change the date of Australia Day. Change the date. Like, don't just talk about it, don't just apologise. Start taking steps towards, you know, he- healing these issues. So that, you know, that tokenism, that, that, that's what that's about. Uh, and what was your other question to there? Oh, just responses from the Palawan oh, yeah. community. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I mean, the book's only been out a, a month and uh, it, uh, the main responses that I've had are, um, you know, from, from booksellers, from, from reviewers, that kind of thing, just from people, you know, just reading it and commenting on social media. And, of course, yeah, there's people in my community that have read it and, and, and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community across Australia that have, have made comments to me, and it's all been really positive. People seem to be able to relate to it. Uh, everyone has a, diff- a different favourite story. <laughs> so I'm just really pleased that um, people are finding, you know, stuff in there that they can relate to and that, that they're enjoying. And at the end of the day, I just want people to enjoy it and and I want them to feel something, you mm. know, after they've finished it. Yeah. Um, so how can listeners purchase your book? Oh, well, you know, it's... It's in all the bookstores that I'm aware of and all the online sellers have it. Um, I'll give a, a shout out to, um, Black Space Creative, which is, uh, a, a, um, an online arts platform in Tasmania run by, um, a guy called Caleb Nichols Mansell. And, he, and he's doing a great job, um, um, facilitating the sale of, um, Aboriginal people's art and craft on, on a website, Black Space Creative. He's selling the book on there, so you know if people want to buy it, you know find Black Space Creative online and um, and make a purchase through there. But you know you can go to the University of Queensland Press website; it's available on there, of course. Uh, and you know, and all of the all of the bookshops and booksellers should have it, so it's it's easily accessible. Great. Oh, I should add, sorry, the e-books available, and there's a fantastic audio book that's been recorded by Mark Cole Smith, who's a great guy and has a fantastic voice. Um, yeah, and if you get an opportunity, you can get that through Audible or Google Play, a whole range of different um, uh, sellers that have the audio book for Born Into This. So, and I'd, I'd recommend people get that because it sounds fantastic. Oh, great. I've just been getting into audio books myself, so <laughs> I might check that out. Um, but thank you so much, Adam Thompson, for joining us on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast to talk about your debut novel, Born Into This. Thanks very much for having me, and I hope people enjoy the book. And that was a conversation that Carly had earlier this week with Adam Thompson, who's a Pakana writer from Launceston, Tasmania. Adam has won several local writing awards and has been published by the Australian Dictionary of Biography, Kill Your Darlings, and Griffiths Review, and joined Carly to speak about his debut book of short stories, Born Into This. On Tuesday, March the 16th at 6pm, the Indigenous-led charity Books and Boots will host a special screening of the film In My Blood It Runs at the Thornbury Picture House. All ticket sale proceeds will go to Books and Boots, who transport pre-loved children's books to First Nations kids in remote communities across Australia. For a fun night out and to help close the literacy gap, head to Eventbrite and search Closing the Gap Fundraiser for Books and Boots or go to the website booksandboots.org.au to secure your tickets. Let's do it for the Eyes. Books and Boots is a 3CR supporter.
Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. And you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Now, if you're just tuning in, uh, you can also tune in live on 3cr.org.au slash streaming. And just a reminder that you can always catch previous episodes of the show or if you missed um, any of the interviews um, on our page, which is www.3cr.org.au slash Thursday dash breakfast. And now we're going to go to an interview that Carly did with Tony Briggs on the Bararanga Film Festival. Joining me today is Tony Briggs, the Artistic Director of the Birrarunga Film Festival, running March 11 to 14 at ACMI. Tony Briggs is a Yorta Yorta Wurundjeri stage and screen creative. He is an actor, writer, director and producer, and he was the creator of the hit feature film The Sapphires. He joins me today to speak about the Birrarunga Film Festival, which is a celebration of Indigenous films from across the globe. Welcome, Tony, and thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So can you talk about the history of the Birrarunga Film Festival? Yeah, so this is our second one, and uh, we, uh, you know, initially kind of just talked about, you know, what it would be like to, to have a film festival here in Melbourne that would, you know, talk to Indigenous cultures from all over the globe. You know, it was something that I wanted to do years ago, many, many years ago. And um, the opportunity eventually came about <clears throat> um, through mutual friends who uh, work in the in the arts world and um, and they created the space for us and with the idea of us being able to, you know, run forward with it after our first one, um, all things being equal and things worked out well and that's how it's sort of panning out. And, um, you know, with the support of, um, Film Victoria and, and, uh, the generous, uh, support of, of ACME as well, then we were able to, you know, be here and do it again. Um, and, you know, if it were not for the relentless and tireless hard work of our, uh, um, producer and, uh, captain of the ship, Damien Predier, um, it, it, wouldn't be happening, <laughs> quite frankly. So you know, we're really we're really grateful and 
and excited about our second one, our second festival being up. Yeah, and can you tell us um, about some of the films that are featuring at the festival this year? So Firestarter is our opening festival, and it's a um, it's a it's a story about the um, about Bangara Dance Company, and it's a very um, uh, it's a very emotional film, um, and it's a really uh, interesting insight into you know the 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 the, the extraordinary talents of um, uh, you know this particularly the Page Brothers and determination and the uh and the strength and the resilience of a company that has been through so much adversity over the years and um it, it's a it's a real honor to be able to put this film on Firestarter. so um yeah we we you know we I love it I love, I love the film it was you know it's a beautiful film and we've got um oh, we've got a whole array of uh, uh films at the festival here that uh, talk to you know the resilience and strength of indigenous people all over the globe and um you know and 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 taking care of country and and you know the themes that are, are really um you know intrinsic to aboriginal cultures all over the world and so it highlights you know how similar we are um across the globe and that's one of the things that's really exciting for me uh, about the idea of putting a festival on. I wanted to showcase the similarities and I wanted to showcase the strength and power and resilience of people who are, who are, you know, who have all been affected by colonization, um, in the same way. And, um, it's really, it's been really, really interesting. So, you know, we've got, we've got a film called We Will Stand Up. Um, it's a documentary that um, looks at the death of a uh, young Cree man by the name of Colton Bushy. Colton Bushy, um, and it's about their family's, um, uh, you know, search for justice. They still, to this day, have not had uh, justice served. Um, uh, just senseless murder of this, this this individual, and it's it's a very powerful, uh, very again, a very relevant to to this country. When you, when you consider and you take into consideration black deaths in custody, the similarities are, are you know, are striking, um, really. And the attitudes that we face as Indigenous people, um, from, you know, a certain sector of the non-Indigenous community. Um, so this is a really powerful and very poignant and very relevant film that I implore, you know, as many people to get along, um, to see. There are, um, and uh, Blood Quantum, on the other end of the scale, is Blood Quantum. It's a um, it's a uh, horror film, I guess you can call it. It's a it's a it's a zombie horror film, and uh, it's a really um, it's a fun film, but it's a it's a it's a it's a fantastically made film. I, I you know I'd never really kind of been into zombies, you know, shows or films or anything like that, and you know I, I you know like I guess like most people, I've watched them and. I've sort of been different, but this one is really different for me, you know. All the First Nation people in the story are not aff- affected by the uh, the plague, the zombie plague. They're the only ones in the world who are not dying of it. And um, it's just a really interesting, uh, a fun, you know, yarn and a fun story to watch and, um, you know, gory, of course, but... My understanding has a bit of a cult following and it, you know, really did very, very well. Um, it's a Canadian film and when it opened at an imaginative, uh, some time ago. 
So we're really thrilled to have that film. You know, it's a fantastic, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic film. Eating Up Easter is a, a film, a US Chile film, Chilean film. It's about the struggle of, um, finding a cultural balance in, um, in, uh, in, in, uh, uh Rapa Nui, um, uh, or Easter Island. Um, uh, and it sort of explores how the community can preserve their language and their culture and, um, and, uh, maintain, you know, uh, sort of a relevance in this ever growing tourism hotspot of a place. It's a, it's a really interesting, um, story too. This one It's it's really, um, again, you know, it talks about our environment and how, you know, how important it is to keep, um, a person, uh, a, a, a keep our environment, um, healthy and, and for the benefit of all. And, you know, the, the connection, obvious, the obvious connection between keeping the healthy environment and the healthy cultural practices, um, is evident in the story. So that's one to look out for, one to, to get onto. It's called Eating Up Easter. And we've got, um, an Australian, um, uh, film called Not Just Numbers. It's a, it's a really inspirational one, this one about, it's a documentary. It's a, it's a uh, one hour documentary about, um, a women's family safety group in, in Alice Springs. And, um, you know, it's you're talking about amongst the violence and, and, um, of, of their communities and, and that, you know, these women are real heroes, um, of course, who've come together to, you know, to battle this, um, and to fight for their lives and the lives of others, um, and their families. Um, and they, they don't want to be, they, 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 they don't want to be seen and not just heard, these people. And, you know, I, I look at a story like that and I think about my own um, family, my own aunties and, and the power and the strength that comes from that, you know, from, from them to, you know, uh, I guess in a, in a way to keep me alive and to be, to give me the, um, the opportunities that I have. And, um, I, you know, I see this film as, you know, a must watch, um, for people in this country. I, I see this story as something that needs to be taken notice of. Um, and, um, it's why I wanted to put it in the program. You know, a lot of these, a lot of this, a lot of the stories that, you know, a lot of the films, not clearly not all of them, but a lot of the films we have, you, you know, have been seen in different various, you know, various places around the world and, yeah. um, in, and even some of them here in Australia. I, I, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've wanted to just support Indigenous filmmakers and, um, you know, we, We've been muted for a really long time, um, uh, for whatever reasons. And, um, I just have found that this is a, you know, as a prime opportunity for us to, to no longer, um, stay that way. You know, it's, it's, it's a small, it's a, it's, it's a small thing in, in the scheme of things, you know, I, I guess, but, but it can t- talk volumes to, if it can talk volumes to one person and make a difference to one person, I'm kind of happy with that, you know. I don't need to. I'm pretty. I, I like to consider what we do as pretty grounded, and um, I, I, I'm okay with it not being, you know, the biggest and the best and the first. And or, you know, I just think it just is, you know. And I think that these stories and these filmmakers don't get the opportunity to see, uh, have their work seen 
um, or heard. And, um, you know, that's what it's about. And there's a lot of films that I just couldn't program. And there's only, you know, I mean, so I, if I could um, have a 12-month festival, <laughs> if someone wants to find, if somebody wants to fund a 12-month festival of Indigenous films, then just let me know. Um, you know, then I'll program almost every film that I could possibly possibly program. You know, um, but it's just not. You know, it's just you know, you can't. I, it's just <laughs> so much you can do. So you know, anyway, I, I've, I've, you know, I've got these films and. And we've got another one um, that is, again, about, you know, the strength of women, really, Mothers of the Land. It's a, um, a film from Peru, and uh, it's set in uh, uh, the Andean uh, highlands, and it follows the, uh, the struggle of women there to maintain the, a, a traditional and organic way of working the land uh, in the context of this you know, industrialization, ever, ever growing industrialization of, of agriculture. So it's, you know, it's really sort of, um, really nicely, um, studied, uh, storytelling, um, of indigenous cultures from the people themselves. And this is the thing about this as well is that we want to, uh, uh, um, you know, um, present films that are driven, um, and, and the narrative is driven by Indigenous filmmakers and led by, by Indigenous filmmakers, um, whether they be, you know, director, writer, producers, preferably all three. And, you know, I've, I've, I've there's, you know, there's some stuff that I've, or one, one or two things that I've put in there that may, that are collaborative, um, um, with non-Indigenous filmmakers, but because, um, you know, well, you know, Firestarter, Firestarter is a, a prime example. Um, it, 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 you know, it's, it's such an important story, I think, for, uh, for the Australian public that I, I, I felt like I wanted to be part of the, you know, contributing to as many eyeballs watching this and many years listening to this story as, as, as I could. So, you know, um, that's why it's, that's why it's on there. It's like, cause it's directed by Wayne Blair and, um, Nell Minchin, uh, non-Indigenous director. And, you know, so I just think that, you know, there are things there that, that there are stories there out there that are, are collaborate, collaborative stories that are really powerful and, um, and still poignant um, for as far as Indigenous stories are, are concerned. If it's uh, led by an Indigenous person, um, then, then I'm, I'm going to I'm going to screen it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Yeah, you're featuring films from Turtle Island and indigenous communities in Chile and South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that there's, as you were saying, a diversity in the types of films as well that you're featuring. So there are documentaries, but then also speculative fiction with Blood Quantum. Um, it's just really fantastic to see. And so how mm-hmm. can listeners watch these films? Well, they've got to come along to um, ACME which is where the festival is. And if they want to get tickets, you know, there's still tickets um, available on the ACME website. Um, and um, if they want to have a look at the program, they can get on our website or the ACME website, and, uh, Um That's our website. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for joining us on Tracy yeah. Thursday Morning Breakfast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And that was an interview uh, between Carly and Tony Briggs, who's the artistic director of the Baranga Film Festival, which is running from March 11th to March 14th at ACME in Melbourne. 
Tony Briggs is a Yorta Yorta and Warundry stage and screen creative and is also an actor, writer, director, and producer, and he was the creator of the hit feature film, The Sapphires. The Bararanga Film Festival is a celebration of Indigenous films from across the globe that explores the themes of strength, resilience, and the environment. And now we're going to go to the song Frantic by Izzy. Leave it alone, never return. CCR's Binary Bardston broadcast is airing seven hours of trans and gender-diverse radio in the lead-up to the 2021 Trans Day of Visibility and as part of Bi-Health Awareness Month. 
bringing the noise to the Western gender binary. Tune in on Sunday 21st of March between 12 noon and 7pm to hear trans and gender diverse voices busting binaries including in areas of art, culture, politics, well-being and resilience. Towards the Transgender Day of Audibility. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash binary busting. The 3CR Binary Busting Broadcast Project is financially supported by a Pride Events grant from the Victorian Government. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Serena. And the song that you just heard was Frantic by Izzy. And now we're going to go to an interview with Andrew Giles, who's the spokesperson for the United Workers Union, who joins us to discuss the ongoing strike by workers at food manufacturer McCormick over wage freezes and threats to conditions. So, hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So on the 25th of February, workers at McCormick, which are the makers of sources for KFC, Hungry Jacks and McDonald's, went on strike. And today is going to mark two weeks of ongoing industrial action. Could you tell us, um, listeners, about what prompted this action and outline some of the workers' demands? Yeah, sure. So the workers, we have an enterprise agreement that expired in December 2016. Uh, and throughout that time, we've been trying to reach an outcome with McCormick's that, that is fair and um, provides a just outcome for our members to reward them for the work that they do. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to reach that outcome. And our members being essential workers, uh, working through the pandemic every single day last year, um, has really brought their frustrations to the, to the forefront. And as a result of that, the members are are standing up and taking this protected industrial action and, and they're prepared to do it for as long as it takes to get the outcomes that they deserve. Uh, in, in relation to what the company is seeking to do, essentially what they're saying is to our members that if you want a pay increase, then you have to fund it yourself and you have to fund it through, through cuts to your shift loadings, to your meal breaks, to, to penalty rates, to overtime and to the, the entire rostering arrangements that, that is just putting our members at a disadvantage. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous that um, that they're being asked to forsake such key conditions. Um, how are the workers on the picket line going? Because two weeks is quite a long time to be without pay. So how is the union and community more broadly supporting them? Yes, it, 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 you're right. It is. Two weeks is a, is a long time. However... Spirits are really high amongst our members. They know, you know, working for five years with frozen wages and, and, and not having the increase, it's resulted in their wages essentially dropping 6.7% throughout that time. Um, so, again, they're, they're prepared to do this for as long as it takes to get the, the outcomes that they deserve. Uh, in terms of support, 
we've set up, we've had a lot of community community support, a lot of people popping down to the picket and dropping supplies off, and, and we encourage that to continue. We've also set up a, a chuffed fundraising uh, platform so members of the community can donate and support uh, to our members that way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, at the end of this, we'll share the link to the Chuffed fundraiser so that people can support workers on the picket line. So could you tell listeners a bit about McCormick? So why is this such a profitable company um, like this fighting for, uh, sorry, fighting its workers on their right to a wage rise and fair conditions? And where are these profits going? Yeah, it's a classic example of, you know, we know throughout this whole time, particularly last year. Last year, seen record profits for McCormick's. Um, we know that food workers throughout last year, um, you know, the, the likes of McDonald's, KFC, and the fast food outlets that McCormick's supply to, uh, and, and their own products going to the, the Coles and Woolworths stores, um, they, they've been very successful throughout the pandemic, and, and they continue to get their bonuses, and they continue to, to provide uh, incentives to the ownership group and through, you know, paying out um, through their shareholders. But unfortunately, they're not prepared to share that money with the with their number one asset, their, their workers, the, the people that are making those profits. We know that over the last five years, their bottom line has increased by 40%, and that's on the, bottom, on the back of the work that our members have done. Yeah, it's just, you know, really shocking to hear because these essential workers have been working throughout the pandemic producing food products. Um, and so really their work has been absolutely fundamental to keeping people fed. Um, do you see any recognition of this uh, translating into greater bargaining power or support in the wider community? Or is this just going to be business as usual? It's certainly not business as usual. We, we, we are aware and we know that there are supply issues already at, at some of the, the stores, the KFC and McDonald's and Hungry Jack's and Nando stores. We know that there's disruption and we know that there's shortages of product already. So, yeah, it's certainly not business as usual. Um, our members, they're fighting, they're fighting for their wage increase and they're also, equally importantly, they're fighting for respect and, and letting everyone else know that this is not, you know, five years of no outcome and, and five years of the company continually disrespecting them is not acceptable. And, and this is the moment where members have said enough is enough. And if you're not going to genuinely talk and reach an outcome through discussions, well, then we are prepared to do what we're doing. And, and that's playing out as we speak. Yeah, so obviously the workers at McCormick are not the only workers currently facing wage stagnation um, in the country. So could you provide just a little bit of context on the issue and what the federal government could be doing about this? Yeah, I, I think it's highlighting for, for so long, for so long workers have been told to to collectively bargain with your employer. But what we're seeing and with the attacks from the Conservative government that, that they're trying to introduce, it, it shows that the system is, is not working. And unless workers join their union, organise collectively, act collectively, and stand up for these big corporations, then we're going to see a lot, a lot more of this. Yeah, thank you. And um, finally, how can listeners support the folks that are on strike at McCormick and follow the campaign um, of, and the work of the United Workers' Union? 
Sure. So we've got um, two things happening at the moment. We've got an online petition that is calling on McCormick's to um, provide a fair pay increase and, and reach a fair deal with our members. Um, and that is on our on the United Workers Union Facebook page. Um, so anyone that could jump on and, and sign that petition and send send uh, that message to the CEO that that they want that outcome. And then also, as I said before, the Chuffed uh, fundraising page as well. They're, they're both on the United Workers Union Facebook page. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for joining us today, Andrew. And uh, we really encourage people to go have a look at those pages and support those striking workers. Thank you very much, and thank you for the support. No worries at all. So um, just for people who are interested in getting to that Chuffed page, that is www.chuffed.org slash project slash McCormick Strike. And now uh, we're going to go to another song, um, and this one is called Get Me Out by King Stingray. I'm gonna 
Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The Good Immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family, because you have a date with Özesuen Özgü, 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Basto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law. 6pm Tuesdays. All right, and you're back on Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855am. And the song that you heard earlier was Get Me Out by King Stingray. And now we're going to go to an interview with Molly Hermans, who's a Wiradjuri organizer, writer and community worker, as well as project officer at Women with Disabilities Australia, who lives on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land, and joins us to discuss the government's plan to introduce independence, uh, independent assessments in the National Disability Insurance Scheme Act and why these proposed changes are so concerning. So hi, Molly. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bria. Um, so for people that are unfamiliar with the NDIS, um, maybe we can just provide a bit of broad background around that. So what role do assessments play in the process of accessing the NDIS and reviewing one's plan? Yeah, of course. So basically, in order to be eligible for the NDIS, you need to meet certain access requirements and you need to have or you need to provide documentation that assesses your disability. So the types of documents that you can provide can be a GP report, for instance, but usually it's a report from or multiple reports from treating specialists, such as physios, neurologists, psychologists, um, you know, the types of people as a disabled person you tend to have longer standing relationships with. Um, and I would say that even... Um, at this point in this game, this is already a massive barrier for people such as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who can find it a lot harder to create, have those relationships of trust with medical professionals, people who can't afford treating specialists, 
like, I see a lot of treating specialists. It's like $150 out of my pocket every time. So already there's a barrier there. Um, and then when you are found eligible for the scheme, um, you have what's called an NDIS plan, and that plan regularly gets reviewed, usually annually. And during this big planning review process, this is, again, where you have lots of assessment reports from your service providers. So they are people like physiotherapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, etc. And these assessments kind of paint a picture for the NDIS, and that is how they, I guess, determine how your disability is tracking um, and determine the level of funding that they're willing to give you based on those assessments. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, with, with the sort of limited familiarity that I have with how the NDIS works, even if you have the, the best possible relationships with the service providers that you engage with, that is still not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to get the supports that you need, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like... Um, I think like one of the big problems with the scheme is that a lot of the time, um, even if your disability is not changing, it's going to stay the same for the rest of your life, if not deteriorate. The whole purpose of the NDIS is to try and um, increase people's capacity so they need less support, which isn't realistic for the majority of disabled people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very neoliberal model. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, you know, in, in that vein, um, what are some of the changes that the government is planning to bring in with these independent assessments? Yeah, so basically uh, what happened um, at the beginning of 2019, the government and the NDIA introduced the first stage of the independent assessment pilot. And so this ran in, I think it was nine regions in New South Wales with around 500 participants. Um, and the second half of the pilot was set to take place the first half of 2020, but then obviously COVID hit and that wasn't possible. Um, and so a report was released on this and it's like commonly known as the TUNE review. It's the 2019 review of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, and so it, it kind of talked about the basis for introducing independent assessments, um, because the government and the agency, I guess, were concerned that there weren't uh, consistent and fair decisions being made in who could access the NDIS or not. Um, but the disability community has just a plethora of concerns with these changes um, because, quite frankly, the changes aren't being made in consultation with disability um, community advocates. It's not being made in consultation with disabled people's organisations and other peak bodies. And I think, like, broadly, our community bottom line is really scared that this is a cost-cutting measure um, and this is going to, you know, fundamentally alter the scheme and how it operates. So <laughs> there are lots of different concerns. So first and foremost, um, independent assessments require the use of standard, standardised assessment tools. So essentially what will happen is the government will contract providers who will then carry out the assessments um, and they'll use standardised tools um, which just absolutely do not account for everybody's different presentations of disability as well as experiences of race, of class, of gender. Like we know that standardised assessments um, 
are usually based on, you know, some crap idea of who the universal disabled body is. It's usually a white, wealthy man, for instance, and they're never or very rarely culturally appropriate. Um, so WIDA, who I work for, Women with Disabilities Australia, we've asked our members, you know, what are your concerns with independent assessments? And we've had people say that, you know, I'm someone with multiple issues. I don't fit into a standard textbook tick box. I have a history of falling through the gaps and have been traumatised. So, you know, I'm very fearful of standardised one-size-fits-all blanket assessments. Um, one of the other big concerns is limitations for people with what is commonly called complex disabilities, for people with invisible disabilities or psychosocial disabilities. Um, and this in particular, if you take a gender lens or if you take um, a racial lens, you look at the way that people are often misdiagnosed. So, for instance, women with autism is a big one. Um, the majority of people with autism who are a part of the scheme are men, and that is because women with autism usually are not diagnosed in the same way because assessment tools just <laughs> are horribly gendered and don't account for women's and gender diverse people's experiences of autism. Um, I think there's another concern too that for people who have multiple disabilities, so you might have a physical disability as well as a psychosocial disability. So that is like phrasing for like different mental illnesses or trauma disorders. Um, an independent assessor will often <laughs> pick one or the other to focus on, um, which in reality isn't how disability works. You know, lots of disabled people have multiple disabilities and they compound and they interact with each other. Um, so I think, yeah, like one of the, the, the huge concerns is that in a very short assessment with somebody you don't know, it's never going to provide the whole picture of your disability. And it's kind of like going back to previous models of disability care where disabled people are dehumanised and you're forced to prove and show um, how dysfunctional you are. Um, and speaking on behalf of Witter as well, taking that gender lens, we are especially concerned about the impact that this will have on women with disabilities and gender diverse folks who have histories of trauma. So it's it's not trauma-informed and it is not safe to expect women and gender diverse folks who have complex histories of trauma um, and a lot of the time that trauma has come as a result of ableism or violence because of people's disabilities, whether that be in institutions, in hospitals, etc., to then have to retell their story to someone that they don't know or that they don't trust. It's, yeah, it's a completely re-traumatizing experience for these people and the Tune Review did recommend that there be protections in place for people who may be affected by this, so making sure that, for instance, um, people have a choice of, you know, who their assessor is. Maybe they can choose if the assessor is a woman or not. Um, but at the heart, that doesn't change the fact that disabled people often have a really fucked up time, honestly, finding treating specialists that we can trust and we know will not perpetrate harmful ideas, ableist ideas about our disabilities. And the idea that we can just, have that assessment again with someone we don't know, have to retell 
our disabilities in some yes or no tick box way, it's just laughable. It's really laughable, I think. It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, you can't underscore enough the fact that these independent assessments, you know, are, are with, are with strangers, um, people that you're not familiar with. And the idea of, of choice there is laughable as well. You know, you get to, you get to choose potentially whether you see a man or a woman, um, or, you know, somebody that, somebody who fits into a category that you might technically be comfortable with, but at the same time doesn't account for the relationships that you build with service providers over time. And, Absolutely. And yeah. I think, yeah, um, it also seems to stem from a fundamental distrust of disabled people um, to know about their own conditions and be able to, um, through relationships with service providers, um, convey that. We actually, um, so again, like I said, WIDA has been strongly listening to our members and what they've had to say. And I think one member said something along the lines of, you know, I've got a really complex history even after 30 years, my GP still defers to me or my ideas about what's happening inside my body because, you know, that disabled woman is the expert on what is happening inside their body. And so I think this particular person um, was really scared that, like, you know, what makes the NDIS think that any independent assessor can comprehend what challenges that their disabilities pose when even the doctors at the top of their field that are treating this person still deferred to them rather than guessing and judging, you know, based on whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, that there was a pilot program that's been trialled so far. Have you seen any of the concerns that we've raised um, just now arise across the, the course of the pilot? Absolutely, absolutely. So there have been multiple disabled people who are NDIS participants who have come forward and said the process didn't work for them. Um, there was one man, Aaron Carpenter, um, Carpenter, sorry. Uh, he took part in the assessment pilot, um, and I believe he has autism. And so he told the Guardian that essentially the independent assessment was just a whole bunch of yes or no questions with very little context. Um, and was just by a physiotherapist. Um, which is just like, you know, beyond the scope of this physiotherapist's training within allied healthcare and within broader disability politics or whatever. Um, and I think, yeah, the word that Aaron used was it was dehumanizing. And there have been multiple other people as well, um, who have said, you know, it, it was, um, really distressing that it falls in line with the concerns that I've just talked about. That, um, yeah, people weren't believed. There wasn't a nuanced approach to people's different presentations of disabilities um, and that it was a traumatising experience. Um, and the fact that disabled people have spoken up about independent assessments and have said this was distressing, this was dehumanising, this was re-traumatising and that still hasn't been listened to, I think, speaks very loudly to the fact that the introduction of independent assessments are not being held in good faith um, or not meaningfully engaging with the concerns of disabled people, whose concerns should be at the forefront because, you know, the NDIS is our scheme. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, that's not the case right now. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so in terms of addressing some of these really serious concerns, um, what are Women with Disabilities Australia um, and other uh, members of the disabled community, other peak bodies as well, asking um, about uh, the the independent assessments. What are they asking from represented, um, oh, sorry, elected representatives rather? Yep. So I think um, overwhelmingly, uh, disabled people's organisations and disability advocates are asking the government to just bloody listen to disabled people and engage in meaningful co-design. So the tune review recommended that there be different protections in place and that you know, consultation happen with disabled people over the introduction of independent assessments. So that is not happening. Independent assessments are supposed to be introduced by the middle of this year um, when, you know, the full pilot didn't even get to run because of the pandemic. And I think a lot of people are concerned that this is just a cost-saving measure. Um, so, yeah, I think the community is asking for the government to engage in co-design with disabled people and listen to our concerns. Um, and I would say, too, a lot of community advocates um, and a lot of DPOs aren't in favour of independent assessments altogether. So a lot of us are calling for the process to be scrapped because it doesn't and it never will capture our experiences of disability properly in the way that disabled people deserve to be listened to. Um, in particular, from WIDIS perspective as well, as I've said, we're very concerned about the, I guess, lack of agenda lens that the introduction of independent assessments has, the fact that it will be very, very traumatising for a lot of women with disabilities. And so we're asking, on the, we're asking the NDIA, sorry, to act to develop an NDIS gender strategy in consultation with women and girls with disability, as well as obviously the representative organisations such as WIDA and Women's Disabilities ACT and Women's Disabilities Victoria, et cetera. And we've been asking for that strategy <clears throat> since the introduction of the NDIS and it still hasn't happened. So I think that's another big ask, um, you know, and if, if that strategy were already in place, I think it would, <laughs> you know, speak to the fact that Independent assessments are not okay and are trauma-informed. Um, but there's no benchmark for trauma-informed care right now. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the very least that elected representatives can do um, in the wake of the Disability Royal Commission um, is really take these concerns seriously because... Um, you know, after after everything, you know, the incredibly traumatic and heartbreaking, um, you know, testimonies that people gave during that commission, it, you know, if if anybody was listening, now is the time to to step up and and make some of those changes in a way that actually allows people with disabilities to live self determined lives. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And Priya, that's just the perfect word: self determination. The whole. The whole purpose of the NDIS was about choice and control. And unfortunately, right now, it does not seem disabled people have choice or control over the way that they're being assessed and the way that we're being treated. Yeah, I mean, it's so often, right, in, in these kinds of schemes where choice and control just becomes um, a code word for individualized responsibility and punishment. 
Um, Absolutely. And it's yeah. it's so unacceptable. So um, before we wrap up, where can people find out more um, about these issues and also support the pushback against these proposed changes? Because I'm aware that um, a meeting's being organized for elected representatives. Yes. So today at 12 p.m. there is a Zoom briefing with um, different disability advocates from a lot of the DPOs. The DPOs are disabled people's organisations. Um, so people from People with Disability Australia, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations and every Australian count are holding this briefing, hoping that MPs and senators will tune in and listen to disabled people's concerns. So they can't say that they haven't had the opportunity to listen to us, essentially. Um, so, yeah, this video conference is happening at 12 p.m. today. Um, it's all over every Australian account, social media. The public is welcome to tune in as well. So if you want to know more straight from the mouth of disabled people about how these changes are going to affect us, please tune in. Um, and there's still opportunity as well to call your MPs and your senators' offers offices and ask them to tune in and really, really, you know, give them that final push and say that they need to listen to disabled people. Um, and I think more generally, you can, yeah, follow on social media organisations like Women with Disabilities Australia, like First People's Disability Network, who are really speaking up on behalf of multiply marginalised disabled people um, and in particular talking about, you know, the effects that independent assessments would have on disabled people who already have been traumatised by deeply ableist systems within our society. Yeah, definitely. And um, considering that it is just about 8.16 in NARM right now, uh, people can head to at uh, Every Australian on Twitter. I think that might be the easiest way to find some of those links to to send those last-minute emails and calls to your members, uh, your local federal member, uh, to senators as well, to really push them to attend this meeting at 12 p.m. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Molly. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Priya, and for, yeah, amplifying and platforming disabled people's voices. Of course. Um, and that was an interview with Molly Hermans, who is a Wiradjuri organizer, writer, community worker, and project officer at Women with Disabilities Australia, living on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land, who joined me to discuss the government's plan to introduce independent assessments in the National Disability Insurance Scheme Act and why this proposed uh, change is so concerning. And as a disabled woman, Molly is deeply invested in disability justice work and is committed to challenging ableism and its intersections with colonialism, white supremacy, patriarchy and class, and is studying a Master of Social Work. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And just a reminder, if you've just tuned in, if you have missed um, any of the interviews or you want to listen back, you can head to our page uh, on the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au slash Thursday dash breakfast. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. 
You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yen Up Us is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Rumination, 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program, featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond... We'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
And that was Don't Give Up On Me by Emma Donovan and the Putbacks. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is 824 AM. And we're coming up to the end of the show, so um, I might just give you a rundown of what we've covered today. So we started off with an interview that Carly did earlier in this week with Adam Thompson, who's a Pakana writer from Launceston, Tasmania. Adam has won several local writing awards and has been published by the Australian Dictionary of Biography, Kill Your Darlings, and Griffith Review. And Adam spoke uh, with Carly about his debut book of short stories called Born Into This, which you can purchase uh, at U- uh, sorry, the University of Queensland Press, so you can head to their website and pick up a copy of Born Into This. After that, we uh, heard Carly's conversation with Tony Briggs, who's the artistic director of the Biranga Film Festival, which is running from March 11th to 14th at ACME. Tony Briggs is a Yorta Yorta and Wurundjeri stage and screen creative. He's an actor, writer, director, and producer, and he was the director of, oh, sorry, was the creator of the hit feature film, The Sapphires. The Bararanga Film Festival is a celebration of Indigenous films from across the globe that explores themes of strength, resilience, and the environment. After that, I spoke with Andrew Giles, who's a spokesperson for the United Workers Union, who joined us to discuss the ongoing strike by workers at food manufacturer McCormick over wage freezes and threats to conditions. To find out more and support the striking workers, you can find the United Workers Union on social media, including on Facebook and Twitter, by searching United Workers Union. And you can also support workers through the fundraiser at chuffed.org forward slash project forward slash McCormick strike. And finally, I spoke with Molly Hermans, who's a Wiradjuri organizer, writer, community worker, and project officer at Women with Disabilities Australia, living on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land, who joined me to discuss the government's plan to introduce independent assessments in the National Disability Insurance Scheme Act and why this is so concerning. As a disabled woman, Molly is deeply invested in disability justice work, committed to challenging ableism and its intersections with colonialism, white supremacy, patriarchy and class, and is also studying a Master of Social Work. To find out more information about the proposed changes, you can head to at WWDA underscore AU on Twitter, so that's Women with Disabilities Australia's Twitter account. You can also find out more about these issues at, at FPDN um, AUS, which is First People Disability Network Australia. And um, as we discussed, uh, there is a meeting today at 12 p.m. where senators and MPs are being asked to meet with people di- with disabilities um, and peak organizations uh, to discuss these proposed changes and why they shouldn't be passed. And you can find more information and lobby your senators last minute at everyaustraliancounts.com.au. And finally, uh, just a reminder that the findings from the coronial inquest into the death in custody of Nathan Reynolds will be handed down in the coroner's court in Lidcombe, New South Wales, today. Um, Nathan died of an asthma attack after Justice Health failed to properly treat his condition, and his family have been seeking justice and support at 12 p.m. for a press conference today. So that's all we've got time for today on Thursday Breakfast, 3CR 855 AM. Thanks so much for joining us, and um, we look forward to speaking with you next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton, 
or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events. When you're in your chair You're looking out the window With a vacant stare Well, all right Don't get uptight It's still a long, long, long way to go Did you get your iron and love around your coat or in? So your state, so she pulled the pin. Well, all right, another lonely night. Sitting in the dark and hoping for a little listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.